Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this event of the European Institute of Holland School of Economics. For those of you who are interested in such things, there is a Twitter hashtag. I, of course, being amazingly old, don't know what that is. But anyway, for those of you who understand, it's hashtag LSE Catalonia. The other thing I have to tell you before we move on to other business is that there will be people around with buckets. And these are from the Students' Union. And the fundraising arm of the Students' Union, LSE SU RAG, during this week, which is RAG Week, will be collecting for three charities. And the charities they are collecting for are single homeless, the Single Homeless Project, Mind, and Teach a Man to Fish. So when you see people with buckets urging you to give them money, your personal safety requires that you give them as much money as you can. <laughs> okay, so let me say, this is uh, an academic debate about the political and judicial future of the situation in Catalonia. First of all, I'm going to introduce the four speakers here with me, and then I'm going to ask them each in turn a question or two. I will then invite them to reply, should they be of a mind to do so, and then I hope we'll have time for questions here. There'll be microphones available that will be passed around. Can I just say, we absolutely have to be out of the building by eight o'clock, so we don't have an enormous amount of time. So let me start to introduce my colleagues here. On my left, your right, is Professor Clara Ponsati Obiols, who is a Catalan political economist, she received her PhD at the University of Minnesota, and she's taught at universities in Spain and North America, and as you'll see in a minute, in Great Britain. In January 2016, she became director of the School of Economics and Finance at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, and she was appointed Minister of Education of the Generalitat of Catalonia in July 2017. After the illegal referendum held three months later, the Generalitat was suspended by the central government in Madrid at the end of October 2017, when the then Prime Minister, Mariano Rajoy, activated Article 155 of the Spanish Constitution and suspended Catalan autonomy. On her left and your right is Amer Anwar, who is a lawyer based in Scotland, who came to prominence for his successful campaign on behalf of the family of Surjit Singh Chokar. He has subsequently taken on a number of controversial cases, and he currently holds the title of rector of the University of Glasgow, the university where he studied first engineering and then sociology and politics. He was elected to this ceremonial position by the students of the university in March 2017. And he's here tonight in his position as the lawyer of Professor Ponsati. 
On my right, your left, is Dr. Alfred Boschi Pasquale, who has been an academic, a journalist, a novelist, and is currently, since November 2018, the Minister of Foreign Action, Institutional Relations and Transparency in the Generalitat of Catalonia. He did his PhD at the University of Barcelona on Nelson Mandela. He has taught at universities in Britain, here in London, in Spain, Barcelona and Madrid, in America, Chicago, and South Africa, Vidvatasrand. And he has served as a member of both the Spanish Parliament and of the Barcelona City Council. On his right, your left, is Professor José Ignacio Torreblanca, who is currently the head of the Madrid office of the European Council on Foreign Relations. He's also a professor of the Department of Political Science of the Universidad Nacional de Educación a Distancia, the UNED, the Spanish Open University, and a senior researcher at the Juan Marc Institute in Madrid. He has taught at Georgetown University, and from 2008 to 2018, he was a regular contributor to the newspaper El País. And between 2016 and 2018, he was a member of its editorial council. He has written many articles and books on populism and Euroscepticism in Europe, common foreign security and defense policy, European Union domestic politics, and institutional reforms. So, obviously, the title of the event is What Now? But it seems to me that before we can look at what now, which actually, of course, means what next, there's a need to look at how did we get to the present situation. So I'd like to start by asking Professor Torreblanca a couple of questions. Now it seems to me, I mean, not everybody may agree, but it seems to me that there are many disturbing similarities between the Catalan situation and the Brexit process in Britain in terms of the polarization of society and even to the extent of there being talk of uh, civil unrest. So in that context, um, I have two questions. One is, do you think that referenda are the answer, especially ones that are decided on a simple as against a qualified majority? And the other question, which I know lots of people who followed this question ask all the time, is Spanish justice independent? There are many members of the Spanish Conservative Party, the Partido Popular, in prison, and indeed the brother-in-law of the King of Spain is in prison. And there are many politicians under investigation or waiting trial for corruption. Yet, um, the Catalan independence campaign has claimed that Spanish justice is not independent. So if you could examine those two questions, please. Thank you, Paul. Um, Professor Preston, it's a pleasure to be here at the LSE. This is a great university. It's not my first time here, so I'm very thankful, thankful for having the opportunity to, to come back. Microphone, please. Uh, <laughs> is that better? Let's see if this way it works better. So um, I was saying thanks for having me, for, for giving me the opportunity to be back again here at this uh, fantastic place and for organizing this debate, which of course is very much uh, needed. You know, if there, is, if there is something we need in a democracy, 
is an open process of deliberation and specifically in universities based on facts and arguments. So uh, thanks for, for being here. On, on your question, I think this is, on your first question on referendums and Brexit, I think this is actually quite to the point because I have the view that um, uh, the Catalan successionist process it's, has much, uh, many more commonalities with Brexit and with the failed Brexit process as we see it evolving than with Scotland as it is usually um, portrayed um, by those demanding a Scottish solution because uh, for, for various reasons. You know? But uh, one is, of course, the deeply divisions and polarization of a society to the extent to which uh, the arguments on the table did not, were not holding to the basic elements of evidence. Um, there were many lies and distortions in that process. There were very similar elements, and I remember one of the things that attracted me a lot here uh, on, on the Brexit referendum was this video footage of this hospital flying to Brussels uh, because it was said that every, uh, every week Britain contributed 70 million pounds to the EU budget money which never came back and that amounted to a hospital and that was infusing in, the, uh, in people's minds the idea that uh, you, know, we would have, you would have a better health system if it was the case that you Brexited. Uh, we've, we've heard similar arguments in, 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 in Spain about to, the, to which extent uh, Spain was robbing Catalonia, Catalonia would be richer, there was a continuous fiscal drainage of resources. Figures were given even by some of uh, our panelists here about 200 billion euros having flown out of Catalonia, never coming back, and this was constantly put on the table. So, um, but in more general terms, I think referenda we have discovered in these last two years are not a great idea. They divide societies in two, societies which the day after have to stay together. And one of the findings, and even as we see here, referenda are complicated even on agreement and on constitutional, and when there is a constitutional basis for that. That was not the case in Spain. So society was deeply polarized, divided, there was not a majority, it was not constitutional, and this was in fact which, which, uh, what I think has created uh, uh, a big part of the problem, that once it was seen that it was not legal and that there was not a majority, instead of backing down from that process, uh, secessionist leaders decided to go on to the paradox that Whereas, whereas in the Catalan parliament you need two-thirds of the parliament to appoint the director general of the Catalan TV, but then you push for independence uh, with, uh, with numbers which were far away from that. And then you organize a referendum to which half of the population doesn't, uh, doesn't show up, which for political scientists, uh, of course, is a strong sign that the referendum is not legitimate uh, to the eyes at least of half of the population. So there were all these elements uh, of, of disagreement, polarization, and division, which I think were present uh, in, in Catalonia, and which have left, of course, a very sore uh, uh, wound, which, is, uh, which we have now to deal with. As for your second question, because I don't want to, uh, to take on, uh, more time, or maybe more time than necessary, and we will have time to, 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 to discuss all these issues afterwards. Of course, you know, Spain is a, a full-functioning democracy, uh, where the rule of law is upheld. We are fortunately members of the European Union, which is the most 
dense space of rights uh, in the world, for sure. And even if Spanish courts, like courts in other countries across the European Union, may make mistakes, uh, we have the fortune of having the European Court of Human Rights and having supranational institutions watching over the independence of the, of the judiciary uh, in Spain. Uh, no Article 7 has been triggered on Spain because of uh, events in Catalonia. No body, official body in the European Union has called for the opening of investigations in relation to violation of basic human rights in Catalonia. In fact, the Venice Council has uh, watched over the referendum in Catalonia and concluded that the process was not due, that it was not right, that it was illegal, and advised Catalan leaders not to continue with that referendum. And the Venice Commission, as you know, is the, is the body uh, uh, discussing constitutional affairs in the European Union. But this is not, I mean, but, but more to the point, and uh, just not, not to represent only my own view, but just uh, yesterday, a statement by the European Commission was released answering a question, a parliamentary question in the European Parliament by Jordi Solé and Josep Maria Tarricabras, among other MPs, who had asked the Commission two questions on uh, the 5th of December 2018. First question was, does the Commission believe that Spain's judiciary is truly independent? Second question is, what steps is the European Commission going to take to ensure that those who stand accused in the 1st of October trial will have a fair trial? The reply by First Vice President Timmermans on behalf of the European Commission, Commission and therefore on behalf of the European Union came out on the 28th of January. And the answer is the, the European Commission does not hold information pointing to breaches of the principle of the separation of powers or issues in relation to judicial independence in Spain. And to the second question, the answer was, the Commission has no reasons to doubt that the right to a fair trial, as guaranteed by Article 6 of the European Convention on Human Rights and Article 47 of the Charter of Fundamental Rights, will be respected in Spain. Therefore, we can engage in arguments about what happened in Catalonia, what went wrong in Catalonia, uh, the trial would be open and it would be broadcasted live for everyone to, uh, to, 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 to watch. And of course, there will be processes of appeal which could be taken to the higher courts, not only in Spain, but outside in Spain. So there shouldn't be reasons to say that, uh, there, that the, um, uh, those under accusation do not stand a chance of a fair trail because it would be quite stupid for Spanish authorities not to try to have this fair trail because there would be a judicial revision afterwards. And again, because Article 7 would be triggered in Spain if that was the case. So rest assured that um, I think Spain is a full functioning democracy and institutions are working properly and issues will be dealt with uh, in the context of separation of powers and the rule of law. Thank you. Right, I'd now like to ask a couple of questions of Professor Ponsati. The first is, what was your, sorry, you can hear me, what was your role in the actual organization and implementation of the referendum on the 1st of October 2017? 
The second is, would a renegotiated autonomy statute not have resolved many of the pending issues rather than a unilateral declaration of independence? And the third, which links with something that Professor Torreblanca said, there have been accusations that Convergencia Democratica, the, for those of you who don't know, there was a conservative Catalan party, which had never been a separatist party before, the accusations where it began to push for independence in response to accusations of corruption in the family of its leader, Jordi Pujol. So that, I think, goes to the question of to what extent the, the issues in the whole, what you call the process, the whole push for independence, are they purely economic or are they to do with something else? So they're the three questions. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Professor Preston. Thank you very much uh, to the organizers for inviting me to this panel at this uh, very distinguished institution. Um, I'll address some of the questions uh, very briefly. Um, with regard to my role in organizing the referendum, uh, since I'm not in a court of law right now, uh, I'm going to be uh, very uh, briefed. Uh, I don't have, you know, special comments uh, to, with regard to the, those details. I was a member of that cabinet that uh, organized that referendum, and I take responsibility for it, and I don't regret it, and I think we were following a parliamentary mandate. Uh, but, you know, as far as, that's as far as I will go. Um, I would love to have an opportunity to testify regarding to that into a fair court of law. Uh, but so far, I haven't had the opportunity uh, because uh, um, in spite of uh, the Spanish judiciary uh, prosecuting me twice uh, in two different countries in Europe, uh, Surprisingly, they've withdrawn the charges, uh, you know, every time right before uh, we had an opportunity to really discuss what, what happened on those uh, days and before giving an opportunity to independent judges in Belgium and in Scotland to express their views on whether there was any crimes committed during the October uh, 2017 in Catalonia or not. Uh, but we have uh, heard from courts of law in uh, Germany, and they were quite definite. Uh, there was no grounds whatsoever uh, for an extradition based on the uh, indictment of uh, rebellion, which is, you know, something uh, violent under Spanish uh, law. Uh, so it's pretty clear that the present discussion about uh, the upcoming trial of uh, my colleagues and civil leaders regarding the events of October 2017 uh, is based on accusations that one court has already examined and very determinedly decided that there is no grounds for. In spite of that, the only reaction of the Spanish uh, judiciary has been to withdraw charges in Scotland and in Belgium 
I claim my right to have a fair trial, and so far, the Spanish judiciary is denying that right. Um, but, you know, the only thing we know is that the charges are not based. Um, with regard to uh, the present situation having potentially been corrected, had there been an offer from Spain on a revised Estatute, I think that uh, we reached uh, the present or the October point. Uh, the present point is a different, you may ask questions later on that, but we reached the October events, the October uh, 2017 events, precisely because there was a proposal of revising the Catalan Estatute in 2006. And you know, the Spanish reaction to that revised Estatute, which was approved by a huge majority of the Catalan Parliament. Uh, some of us may have thought at the time that that was not sufficient, but certainly that was a very consensual proposal that reached, that went through all the you know, steps uh, defined in the uh, Catalan Estatute and in the Spanish Constitution. It went to the uh, Spanish Parliament. It was revised in the Spanish Parliament. It passed. It was subject to a referendum because the Constitution requires a referendum. And it was approved in referendum by a degree of participation and the number of votes that is not, uh, that is very comparable. At, at this point, I'm, I regret I don't have the exact numbers, but I suspect it was fewer people voting for that statute favorably than people participating in the October 1st statute. Anyway, that referendum was Maybe very polarized, I don't know, but it was a requirement to have it. Uh, so that passed. So the Catalan people give itself that statute. And then we all know, I mean, I'm going to briefly revise what happened. You know, the a popular party brought the statute and the Defensor del Pueblo Español, they felt the need to defend the Pueblo Español against the Catalan statute. And the Catalan statute was uh, put to revision to the Constitutional Court that took six years to express basically a dismissal of that statute. And we're there. Three. Three years. Three years? Yes. Well, 2007 to 2010. Okay. All right. But, I mean, no, no, but the Popular Party brought the statute to the Constitutional... They started the campaign against the statute right away. So, okay. 2010. Okay. So it took a long time. During the time, it was very clear that the Constitutional Tribunal had stopped being a neutral referee for constitutional issues in Spain in regard to issues that had to do with autonomy uh, and, you know, devolution and these things, you know. Uh, so we where we are precisely because of that. Uh, with respect to accusations of corruption to Convergencia, I don't think I have the need to discuss that because I've never been a member of Convergencia. Uh, I will never be, I can assure you. Uh, so, uh, but I'll briefly discuss if the allegation is that some politicians subscribe to the independentist agenda to cover up their uh, corruption. Um, um, the honest answer is, I don't care. Uh, 
you know, there is a, you know, a, a grassroots demand for independence in Catalonia that is based on the, on the uh, Catalan, or, you know, a big number of Catalans, let's not use, you know, excessive words, a, you know, a, an important number of Catalans thinking that the constitution in Spain and the present institutional arrangements have reached their limit. Uh, they have broken down. They, you know, the constitution was the result of a covenant between the democratic forces and the Francoist forces. Uh, at that point, probably was the best thing we could, they could do. We weren't, you know, it wasn't there, but you know, I accept that at that point, that was you know, good progress to bring democracy in Spain and to be, bring self-government to Catalonia and the Basque Country. But the fact of the matter is that that project, that that agenda has totally exhausted and at this point, uh, there is no guarantees, there is no constitutional guarantees for Catalans uh, when it comes to their self-government. And there is no neutral referee to discuss if there is a constitutional disagreement, and I would certainly agree that what happened in the Parliament of Catalonia in September 2017 is something that is subject to much debate, certainly. Uh, but in, you know, in a normally functioning institutional uh, democracy, there would be neutral referees that could address the discussion. We face that situation without a neutral referee. The Constitutional Court not only has uh, you know, evolved in its composition with uh, less and less qual human qual uh, professional and human quality, if you look at the people composing those, and uh, they are, you know, they used to be very distinguished, really fair, and uh, people with uh, very high legal credentials. And the thing has evolved into the parties just, you know, distributing the seats. And it has become very partisan. And not only that, it's clear that, there is, that it's not offering any, any kind of guarantees when it comes to dealing with a Catalan, uh, with a Catalan conflict, and we've seen the way that the Constitutional Court was revised by the Popular Party in 2015, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, by giving the Constitutional Court executive powers, this is unheard of in any Western democracy. And that was decided by the absolute majority of the Spanish Parliament. If that is not an abuse of process, you tell me what it is. But the fact is that the uh, Catalan referendum was deemed illegal precisely because the Constitutional Court had been endowed with these executive powers. Had it not been endowed with that, they would not have been, had the ability to uh, declare the referendum. It certainly would have been a conflict, but they would not have been uh, capable of requiring obedience, which is something no other Constitutional Court in any Western democracy can claim. When I was, you know, telling people about obedience and disobedience in Scotland, they were just looking at me like, Clara, are you crazy? What's that? Okay, I'll stop here. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'm sure that, uh, well, I think everything that everybody's saying will probably be subjected to criticism from other members of the panel and then uh, from people in the audience. So I'd like to move on to Dr. Bosch. Um, I think just to ask you about the present situation, the current government in Catalonia, the Generalitat, is a coalition of anti-capitalist groups 
with others that when they were in power introduced policies of austerity that carried out, as has happened in lots of European countries of course, uh, cuts in health and education. So my question is on what basis do all of these component parts of the Generalitat coalesce now? That's, sorry, that's question one. And the second is, and I'm assuming that the answer is going to have some element of a desire for independence. That, and so my second question is, to what extent do you think a separate Catalan Republic could prosper outside of Spain and the European Union? Well, thank you. Um, uh, uh, thanks especially to the uh, uh, LSA, uh, which is an academic institution with the uh, unquestionable reputation uh, for inviting me to this panel and also for inviting uh, my colleagues here. I think it's a very plural panel and I think it's positive that uh, we can sustain such differences and express them openly here. I would share the feeling that uh, both Clara Ponsati and uh, up to now, I guess uh, Mr. Anwar, or Dr. Anwar also, and also Dr. Torreblanca expressed. Um, I share so much this feeling that I think that uh, this should also happen in Spanish universities. And up till now, uh, neither any of my colleagues in the Catalan government or myself have been invited to any Spanish institutions or universities to discuss uh, what Mr. Torreblanca qualified as an open process of deliberation. But I'm sure that you will surely help I us. Yes, yes, I'm sure you will help us to uh, solve that lack of uh, open processes of deliberation in Spain. I'm, uh, I'm positive on that. Uh, you, you asked about uh, differences, similarities, and goals of different uh, parties, specifically, I think, uh, pro-independence parties in Catalonia. There's many differences. Uh, that's also a source of um, political happiness in the sense that uh, we represent uh, many different ideas and ideologies uh, within the political spectrum of Catalonia, but that we are able to agree on one uh, major issue, which is trying to build a new country. And we think that the opportunity for uh, building a republic in Catalonia uh, uh, gives us that chance. Now, um, the, uh, I'm in a coalition government where you have uh, what, uh, the successors of Convergencia, of a center-right party, and also the, uh, my own party, which is possibly defined as a social democrat party. Um, it would be like a coalition, if we could draw the parallel with, uh, with due distance and, and caution between something like the Lib Dems and Labour, possibly. Uh, now, how can uh, such parties with different ideas and different uh, traditions, how can we agree? Because we agree on one fundamental issue, which is not uh, which goes further than uh, state interests. It, uh, it's, it goes in the direction of building a new state, which is a challenge even larger 
than that of defending state interests. So, yes, uh, we agree with, on that. We've been uh, um, striking deals on that for uh, several years already, and we will, we will proceed that way uh, because we think it's good for, uh, for uh, Catalan people. Now, um, we think it's good for Catalan people, and that goes to the second question, because um, we don't believe in uh, drawing up walls. The only walls, the only fences we have in Europe are those that the Kingdom of Spain built in Ceuta and Melilla to separate the Kingdom of Spain from the Kingdom of Morocco and to prevent people from uh, going uh, into Spain and preventing immigration of people, people who are probably in need of a decent life. So uh, those are the only walls we have. We want, obviously, to share the European project. Uh, we are not Brexiters. We are Remainers. And we, we, want to we want to stay in Europe. And we share European values uh, as, is, as expressed by people like Monet, like uh, Schumann, like Konrad Adenauer, uh, those values that revolving around peace to prevent something like the Second World War ever happening again uh, are in the roots of uh, the present uh, European Union, uh, values like uh, democracy, uh, freedom, and uh, the preservation and the defense of uh, civil rights. We think that what's happening in Spain, much of what's happening around the effort of Catalans to build a new nation and to build a free and fair nation and uh, the abuse of power which has been committed and is still being committed by the powers of the state in Spain, I think that goes against European values. The fact that the single uh, private prosecution in the trials which are going to commence in brief, uh, the fact that the only uh, representatives or the only group, organized group, uh, who are uh, leading this private prosecution are Vox, which is an ultra-rightist, ultra xenophobic, uh, and uh, uh, one of the most uh, um, uh, extremist nationalist parties in Spain, uh, gives a clue about uh, what are the stakes and what are people defending on each side. So uh, we are asking the present government of Mr. Sanchez, of the uh, Spanish Prime Minister, who's a socialist, to not to play hostage to Vox, to the ultra-right, or to the extreme right, or to the mega-ultra-extreme right we have in Spain, which are in fierce competition to see who does most of the Catalan bashing, which in a way we would compare to the Europe bashing, which has taken place for so many years and even decades in the United Kingdom. Let me just add that um, whatever you might think about the trials, which are starting um, in, a, in possibly in 10 days, whatever you might think of that, uh, I, I will express my own uh, position on that if I have the chance and you want to have the patience to, to listen to me. Um, but whatever you think of that, whether it's a political trial or not, whether it's fair or not fair, uh, we, will we will obviously have differences there. But what's uh, uh, quite clear uh, is that these trials would not, will not help, will not help to overcome the present political major crisis in the Kingdom of Spain. Um, they will not help. 
they will damage the present situation. Because if, uh, whenever sentences are public, whenever the judge uh, cares to decide about what to do with these prisoners, which we qualify and we think are qualified as political prisoners. Uh, political prisoners because uh, this is a political trial. And it's political because uh, those members of the government that managed to get out of Spain uh, can be free, free citizens in a free Europe, like brave Clara Ponsati right here, who was a member of the cabinet and can live as a free citizen here in the UK. Uh, those who remain in Spain have been in jail for more than one year, without bail, without trial, up to now. So, yes, there is a difference. Yes, it is political. Uh, European justice makes a contrast, a very sharp contrast, with Spanish injustice. And that's what we think. So, yes, it's political, and it's not a good idea. It's a huge historical mistake, and allow me to express that as a historian. It's a huge historical mistake, because once the sentences are known, if those are heavy sentences, there'll be much more anger. And a peaceful settlement and a democratic solution and talks which should take place to solve the present crisis will be even harder to hold. So, uh, yes, I think this is a mistake. These people should not be tried. The reply to uh, holding a referendum um, for uh, enabling people to vote about their future, uh, the response to that, in my opinion, can never be putting these people in jail, um, cracking people's heads open, and... Um, and indulging in heavy sentences, which uh, might lead to an even harder or an even grimmer situation than the one we're experiencing right now. However, okay, that's fine, but it wasn't what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> the question was... It was a good answer. It, it was a, a, a terrific answer to another question. Um, but the question was, do you really think that if... Catalonia were to declare an, an itself to be an independent republic, if that were possible. I mean, I, as a historian, I hate hypothetical or counterfactual questions. But just as the question that floats around in this country and <coughs> it, it, it is avoided all the time by those who want Britain to leave the European Union, uh, the question for Catalan independentistas would be, do you think that the Catalan Republic could prosper outside Spain and the European Union? Because it's pretty, if, if we take the model of what's happening with Brexit and we know what, what the attitude of Madrid is, it seems highly unlikely that either Spain or Brussels would be viewing such a move with sympathy. No, but um, there's uh, quite a few new countries which have been created in Europe over the last few decades. Uh, they have prospered fairly well. In fact, they're much better off right now than they were like 30 years ago when they were contained in these uh, uh, bigger political units. So uh, yes, chances for development I think are much better. And then about uh, remaining, I said, I answered part of your question at least, let me, uh, give me that credit. Because uh, I said very clearly that we're remainers. Now why should we, be, should we be kicked out of the European Union? And also how could we be kicked out of the European Union? 
um, uh, Clara Ponsati here and myself, we are uh, European citizens. Now, how can somebody deprive us of that European citizenship when the debate right now is how to keep the Brits in, not how to kick them out? Now, and that's the nature of the European Union, so I think that will prevail. And I also think that the only way somebody can deprive us of our European citizenship is by depriving us previously of our Spanish citizenship. Now, the Spanish Constitution says very clearly that nobody can be deprived of his Spanish citizenship. So the only way, the, no, no, it's quite a paradox, but academically, <laughs> academically fascinating. Now, the only way. Are we going to stop the debate now? Here? The, well, no, I mean, he. Well, sorry, sorry, you I, asked I really, again. Sorry, let me let me just say a last sentence. A last sentence. Last sentence. Yes, okay, yes, I, I promise. I promise. Uh, and I promise it's not the last sentence. I mean, let's... Uh, <laughs> Look, listen, if this is going to go on, I've got, I'm sorry, I've got to stop this. Sorry. Uh, yeah, no, with you're respect, actually playing with, verbal with respect, games. You're Paul, playing verbal games. Dr. President, if, can I just if say If Catalonia last... declares mm -hmm. uh, unilateral independence, then it would be giving up its oh. privileges within Spain, surely. But, but the only way that somebody can deprive us of our European nationality is depriving us of our Spanish nationality. If that happens, Spain will be recognizing our independence out of Spain. And uh, I think a Spanish government will never enter that paradox. And that's a very serious question, which was formulated to Mariano Rajoy uh, two years ago, and he went blank. So I, 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 think, I think there's a point there. I really do. Okay. Um, <laughs> right, okay. So uh, my last questions are now to uh, Amir Anwar. Um, in a notorious declaration, Professor Ponsati said that when the Catalan government unilaterally declared independence, it was playing poker and bluffing. And this has become a, a, a notorious um, statement. You, you, you did say it. You can't say you didn't say it. You did. I don't say it. I'll answer this question. Oh, you want to answer. Well, you haven't heard the question yet. Um, <laughs> what I was going to say is if... I mean, I assume that both you and... Uh, We're not the same people, Paul. <laughs> no. I, okay, I noticed the, that. I can tell. But <laughs> why on earth do you think I think you're the same people? Well, it sounds like you're about to ask me a question about what Clara said. Clara has her no. right in a democracy to state her own Clara opinion. can say what she likes. But I can have different political opinions. Right, okay. Well, I look forward to you condemning what she said. Um, okay, so she said that the Catalan government was playing poker and bluffing. Now, given that she and indeed everybody in the Catalan government at the time, I, tr I assume, was familiar with the Spanish constitution, in other words, the legal framework within which the uh, Declaration of Independence was made, I was going to ask you, although Professor Ponsati may wish to come in, would you not be surprised that breaking the clauses of the Spanish Constitution 
in a spirit of playing poker and bluffing, would not lead to judicial proceedings? First of all, I'll say um, I'm a bit surprised that at the start of this, before this meeting commenced, I was, Paul was supposed to be worried about me speaking for too long. That's the first thing I'd say. Um, secondly, I'd like I was to worried about everybody speaking so long. <laughs> um, Don't feel you're special in that regard. Certainly not. Um, we, and also thank you to the LSE and to, uh, to Paul for the invite today. I, I think in terms of relying, this idea that somehow um, the, the politicians in Catalonia are responsible for the mess is turning the whole thing upside down. The only people responsible for what's happening today in Catalonia is the Spanish government. Um, and people, uh, uh, my friend at the end, um, on the far right, uh, maybe not. So, um, talked about democracy, um, talked about the rule of law, etc. But I think what we have seen in Spain, and you do have to go back to the start, is, is, is a veneer of democracy. That actually people say, people have recently said, and they've said it in Scotland, that democracy is dying in Spain. I, I think it actually wasn't really there. Um, they have these words, these sound bites of European style, respect for democratic rights. And when the words was used was a legal referendum, there is nothing illegal under international law to try and determine your self-determination, to have the right to self-determination. And as was eloquently said uh, by my client, Clara, um, in relation to you know, the votes that took place, the Catalan parliament. I cannot see how, um, when they called for independence, they had the mandate to do so, and they had the right to do so. And what you see is the heirs of Franco attempting to crush, once again, the desire of the people of Catalonia to run their own affairs and to speak in their unique tongue and to do it without dictation from Madrid. There is nothing wrong with that. Every country in the world has seen that desire. And we've seen a lot of talk about Brexit on this panel. We've seen talk about, you know, fiscal autonomy, etc. and all this. I, I, I'm not an academic. I just want to put that to the side. When I, I have, um, you know, origin, Indian origin. Um, and if you ask anybody Indian or Pakistani, no matter what mess the, the, the countries of India and Pakistan have been through, what, you know, what wars they've been through, civil war, etc., millions of people die. If you ask them, would you turn the clock back? and say you don't want independence. There isn't a single independent country in the world would say no to that. And I believe that Catalonia one day will be independent, and I believe it was right to call for independence. And, when, uh, and there's no point talking about democracy when it comes to Catalonia, when the history of the last century has been that nine out of 11 Catalo Catalan presidents have either been jailed, exiled, or executed. That is some record for a European country to call itself a democracy. So, you know, in terms of constitutional law, it's rigged. It's rigged by Franco, and it's rigged by its heirs to ensure that Catalans can never decide their own destiny. And so absolutely each and every time, there must be independence. And I think the issue now is the, the genie is out of the bottle, and Spain cannot let it back in again, and the independence has to happen. That was really I have to say, your figures are wildly inaccurate. <laughs> there have not been nine presidents of Catalonia, and one of them, the last very century. tragically, was assassinated by the Francoists, Luis Companys, uh, but Giuseppe Taradellas wasn't, Jordi Pujol, uh, Pujol wasn't. He was in Pujol. Was? Exactly. 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 Exactly
I was told it was nine. Okay. Nine out of okay. eleven, jailed, exiled, or executed. But there haven't been that many presidents. Anyway, in the last century, okay. in 2014, there was a legal referendum on a consultative basis to ascertain Catalan opinion. Okay, and my question earlier on, when I asked, was there no possibility of resolving this by a uh, negotiation of a, a more ample autonomy statute. Now, of course, I agree absolutely with what Professor Ponsati said about what happened to the 2006-2007 autonomy statute and what the Tribunal de Garantias Constitucionales did. Of that, there is no doubt. But a lot of water has passed under the bridge since then. And Part of that water, if I can put it, was the 2014 referendum. Now, obviously, uh, I don't know, probably Alfred Bosch and Clara Ponsati know, know this far better than I do. There are people in the audience who know far better than I do. But perhaps thinking as a, a naive English person of the time, perhaps harking back to pre-Brexit days, my question really was, on the basis of that 2014 referendum and what that showed about public opinion, while it was quite obvious that a unilateral declaration of independence was doomed to failure in terms of the Spanish constitution, that there might have been, I mean, that, in other words, that the, the problem or the desire for Catalan independence is a long-term thing. It's not going to happen from one day to the next. And that had the, the results of the 2014 referendum been used as the basis for a negotiation, it might have been possible to resolve this without the conflict that there now is. That was what I was... I, I don't see how you can claim to see that Spain was somehow going to resolve it. They have rigged it time and time again to ensure that a referendum, that independence will never, ever be on the agenda. <coughs> People are in prison now. You have Catalans who are in exile. They're being charged with rebellion and sedition and criminal offences that even the person who designed the criminal code said actually he cannot see how this can be rebellion. So the idea that somehow you have to keep looking to Spain and there will be negotiation, I'm one of those who believes you cannot negotiate with Spain. Right? This, this is over and done with now. It's a case of the Catalonia must have independence. It's not a question of if, it's a question of when. And stop looking to 2014. We are now in 2019. You've had the 1st of October. You have had the repeated humiliation of the Catalan people. You have people who are in custody. You have people who are facing multiple years in prison. And yet, for some reason, people keep saying, look at 2014, look at 2012, look at 2010, look at 2006. No, let's go forward. Look at 2019 and what the Catalan people want. That's what should be on the agenda. Okay, so the next question is, what do the Catalan people want? Who are the Catalan people? Who are Catalans? Well, why not let the Catalan you people decide us, themselves? You clearly include yourself. But may I come in? Yes, sure. Sure. Because I think there is very important that when we talk about mandates here, um, because, you know, you, you're an economist, and uh, but you should know, of course, that a parliament cannot mandate to do anything to anyone. To a Why? No. Why do you feel obliged to obey a mandate which is unlawful, which is passed 
in violation of the rights of the members of the parliament in Catalonia who have not have a chance to proceed with the debate of that law according to the guarantees that any standard law requires, which is you put a bill in parliament, you register it, you send it to a committee, you allow for amendments, you allow for an open debate, then when you pass that law, you send it to your own constitutional court, to the Conseil, and you wait for its opinion in order to see whether you can go through. But you pass a law, you introduce a bill in the, European, in your, in the Catalan parliament, you know, and you turbocharge that in order to have a vote without a debate and without the avis of the Conseil de Garantias. Without that, with, so you are violating the rights of half of the Catalans. And this is a very, a very important thing because you don't invite them to participate in that process. You don't take into account their participation. You are a lawyer, Mr. Anwar, and there is nowhere nowhere on any claims and also for the members of the parliament who approve that. By the way, your fellow member of the government, Santi Villa, has said that the 6th of September was the darkest hour, hour in his life as a Democrat because the way that law was pushed through parliament. A law that in which the Catalan parliament gives itself the right of self-determination without any further consultation to any other institutional body. You can go to the Court of Justice, in, uh, International Court of Justice in The Hague, you can go to the Security Council or to the UN General Assembly and ask whether the Catalan Parliament has a right to concede itself the right of self-determination. You haven't, of course, done that because you know what the answer would be. Self-determination is exercise within the boundaries of Sorry. existing states and there, you, unless you are a colony and are an elite of colonies as such. So this is not, sorry. Can I just say that? No, no, it's no, 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 let me just finish, just let me finish with it. Oh, article, and I finish with this law because <laughs> the mandate, turn. look at the mandate. You know, if you mandated me to jump through the window, I wouldn't do it, you know, even if it was a parliament. And this is what exactly the mandate you gave yourself. And just two, mind, two points on this, on this mandate. The law says that, it's, that it prevails hierarchically to any other law of the country. And that, it, it's not a consultation, it's self-determination, and that no matter the participation, no matter the threshold in the referendum, if there are votes, more votes in favor than against, there will be an automatic declaration of independence in the next 48 hours. This is a huge constitutional challenge to the integrity of a member state of the European Union. And the European Union, of course, and the European Union, of course, and international law so? International law asks all countries to respect the territorial integrity of other countries. So, and then you wonder why would you be left out of the European Union if you do this? Do you think you can leave in the European Union with Spain after forcing through a unilateral process of succession without including half of the Catalans, of course, not, cons not consulting the rest of the Spaniards and not asking any international body. And you <laughs> proclaim yourself to be a good European. Europe is not about that. Europe is about the rule of law first and foremost. And you broke the rule of law. You may think you had reasons to do it, but you broke it. Yeah, let me, let me just... Sorry, okay, um, I think Clara first. Yeah. And before anyone else goes on, can I tell you... We have to be out of the building by 8. It's now 
I'm sure there are people in the audience on the verge of nervous breakdowns who'd like to say something. <laughs> so, Clara, you. All right, so I'll, so I'll be extremely brief and I'll, I'll move that we move to questions from the audience, uh, if, if, if you agree. Uh, you know, uh, all these arguments, I, I don't agree with them. I don't. But I'm not, I'm not going to go into the discussion. The, the question is, does this mean that because, let's hypothesize that you were right. Okay, it's a good exercise. Does the, the, is the implication that you're supposed to take, dismiss the government, call an illegal election because, okay, we run it, but that was an illegal election because the exercise of 155 was not constitutional either, that's for sure, but the Constitutional Tribunal, of course, has not pronounced itself about it. Okay, does that mean all that? And then you go after the government that organized this constitutional mess. Let's, let's accept that, okay, for the sake of the argument. It was a constitutional mess. And so, because of a constitutional mess, you take these people to prison and you charge them with rebellion because they committed a crime that deserves 25 years of prison? Sorry, I don't see the implication. Okay. The, yeah, the, the question uh, Professor Preston put forward is um, what do Catalans want? Um, I think the problem is that we don't really know because every time we have tried to find out, uh, the uh, uh, Spanish power has tried to block the way in any possible uh, uh, manner and uh, has disrupted uh, the vote sometimes in quite an aggressive fashion. So um, we would like, we would love to know what Catalans want. And the best way to know that is to take them to the polling booths and make the people vote and count who is against and who is for independence. That way, possibly, we would have a more accurate reply to what Professor Preston just put forward. I, th I mean, I think you may very well be right about that. But the problem then is the constitutional context in which, for better or for worse, the Spanish constitution does not let any autonomous region declare uh, independence without it going to a national referendum. And we know that a national referendum would not vote in favor, you know, I mean, of all of Spain, be not least because such anti-Catalan feeling has been generated, it is virtually inconceivable. Anti-succession feeling. There are okay. half of the Catalans who don't feel anti-Catalan. No, no, no. oh, can we just okay. let the okay. audience okay. ask the questions now? And, uh, I just, want to I just wanted to just quickly thing. say, I just wanted to quickly say, I mean, it's like, on one level, you talk about 50% of the Catalans are against this. Uh, and as has been said by Clara and by yourself, is it? well, it's pretty simple. In Scotland, you know, we lost the referendum, but people were allowed to make the decision. They were allowed to decide their own destiny. And we might, well, I hope we will get the chance again. But the point was, it was left to the people to decide. What was the Spanish response to the people deciding? If you were so confident that the majority of Catalans were against independence, then why not let them vote? Why not let them give them the right to vote self-determination against? Or for, no, let me finish. You had your chance, right? And the second point is, if you're so interested in democracy, why do you send an armada into Barcelona? Why do you send the riot police onto the streets? Why do you attack men, women, and children with batons and plastic bullets? Huh? Why is, is that the way to promote democracy and to show the Catalans that you love them? The equivalent is, as we said when Clara came to Scotland, 
and then we had to defend her, was to say if Theresa May, tomorrow, Nicola Sturgeon calls a referendum on the back of Brexit, and Theresa May sends in 15,000 riot police from the Metropolitan Police, we would be independent tomorrow. We would be calling for independence. You should stand, you know, there are elections coming in, in, I'm not politician. in Barcelona, you know. <laughs> well, you know, but you, you would do pretty well, uh, I'm sure, see, for the audience. i probably end up You know, the, there was, you know, there, in, the, in the, last, the last time a proposed statute uh, was put to the people, Esquerra Republicana and Partido Popular decided not to support that statute. Some because they thought it went too far. The other ones because it was not good enough. You know. And this is the problem that we have to deal in Catalonia, that Esquerra Republicana is now telling everyone that on, on grounds of, three, of, of, of 11 articles of, of that Estatute of Autonomy being abolished you know, because of the Constitutional Court, an Estatute for which they didn't stand because they didn't believe in it, you know, now you, ha you have all this process of... Uh, of, of going for a new one. We had a vote in 2014, right? And there was, no, there was no police, there was no intervention because it was not a self-determination referendum. There was a consultation and the Minister of Justice of the Spanish government, Rafael Catala, publicly declared two days before, well, if this is just a public consultation with no legal implications, we're willing to go along that. And that referendum took place, took place, but the day after the referendum, what did the Catalan Secessionist leaders say? They counted the numbers and they say, okay, now in 18 months we will have the real referendum for self-determination. Thanks for, for, for the opportunity. You know? So there is no trust. You know, when 50% of the people don't show up for a referendum in Scotland or in, in anywhere in Catalonia, it's because they don't trust the question and the people putting the question to them. They don't want to participate in a process which they think is rigged. So the first ones you have to convince about the future is not the Spanish courts or not the Spanish government. It's the other half of the Catalans that would go along that because without that, and you have so far not only failed to produce that, but you have scared people because they, <laughs> they want they won't participate in a referendum for self-determination in which the question is yes or no because they don't trust that they will have a better future. Why didn't they show up? Because why do you well, think people No, no, show look, up? Uh, uh, thanks for calling us scary. I never saw myself in that, in, no? in that particular light. Um, no, look, um, uh, the, the percentage of the census that voted for uh, independence in Catalonia in October the 1st, uh, 2017, is a bit higher than the percentage of the census in the UK that voted for Brexit. You don't know so, the participation, so sorry. There are no figures so, for that. Official figures. So, please, no, um, no, please. The government uh, hasn't produced the figures. We, we have not interrupted I'm, you, yes. so please don't interrupt. Yes, um, okay. I, I'm, I'm sure if you uh, listen to me, yeah, sorry, you'll, you'll be able to answer much better. But, um, uh, so, so I, I think, uh, yes, it was a substantial, very substantial part of the Catalan population that went to the vote. Now, about all this being unconstitutional, I have, mm, sorry, but I have an article of yours, um, Mr. Torreblanca, about uh, defining the, what's happening in Venezuela as a coup 
against the Constitution and in a breach of law. Now, um, uh, a few days ago, the Spanish government, November 2018, uh, uh, a few days ago, the Spanish government said, uh, uh, threatened uh, the Venezuelan president that he either held elections or else uh, they will recognize uh, the self-proclaimed president of this uh, constituent assembly, which you say br uh, uh, openly breached the constitution and broke the law. Yeah, now, fir first thing, first thing, uh, f please. First thing, um, yes, the Spanish government can change its vision of things. Whatever it says, whatever it considers unconstitutional, it can change and modify its views. Second thing, um, if that's uh, your way of predicting things and you're qualifying what's happening in Catalonia as unconstitutional, uh, um, pro uh, possibly in the very near future, we will be recognized by the Spanish government. I, th I think this is a happy moment in which to <laughs> allow, we have very little time, but um, is by any chance anyone in the audience would like to ask a question? There's a young man over there at the back. Is anyone near him with a microphone? And then a lady at the back. Oh, sorry. I want to ask... I was dazzled by his beauty. I want to ask Professor Torreblanca this question. Sorry, I can't, we can't hear you. Hello? No? Yeah, I want to ask Professor Torreblanca this question. You criticize the Catalan Parliament for taking a lot of decisions with, too much, with no too much deliberation. But why did you are going to recognize the, pre, the, the so-called Venezuelan president elected by a that was not elected by a, a Venezuelan parliament. The, par, the Venezuelan parliament didn't, no, the Venezuelan parliament didn't have a discussion, didn't have a debate, didn't have nothing, and this guy was nominated but I'm as really president. sorry, we've so come here what, to talk about Catalonia, not Venezuela. Yes, but there is a completely contradiction in the policy of Spain. Spain is recognizing and trying to intervene in a Latin American country, while in Spain is forbidden the Catalans the right to have self-determination. In Spain, they repress the democratic movement, while in, in Venezuela, they try to support an invasion against a democratic movement. So it's a completely contradiction. How can you explain that? That's all. Thank you very much. Do we need to explain it? I mean, unless you're siding with Maduro, then, I mean, I don't understand the point. Because, because, and this is a misreading, of course, I, I wrote this article in the complete opposite view. You know, I, it's, either the, it's, it's either myself or someone else that has misread this, but very clearly, Maduro has violated the, the, the Constitution of, of, of Venezuela so many times, you know, so many times in agreement, in according to those constitutional lawyers like Roberto Viziano, who wrote the Bolivarian Constitution, have said that Maduro is in violation of the Constitution, that he's an illegitimate president, and therefore the president of the National Assembly, which is the only democratically elected institution of the country, has temporarily assumed powers of presidency. It's not a coup d'etat. The coup d'etat has been done ten times by Maduro. This is the point that I was trying to make. If you want to make a comparison between Venezuela and Catalonia, we can have a seminar here, but I don't quite see the point. Contrary to that, the Venezuelan parliament is not in violation of the Bolivarian constitution, to make clear. Okay. Right. There's a lady at the back is next. Um, then Professor Balfour, 
then Jimmy Burns. Sorry, Jimmy Burns OBE, if I may. Um, hello, my name is Sylvia. I'm Catalan. 300 years generation, I always say I'm very Catalan. I'm not independentist. Um, sorry to say, I'm sure I was going to get this beautiful reaction. There's democracy also in my homeland, unfortunately. Um, thank you very much, Alessi. I appreciated that the panel has been a bit more balanced than when you initiated uh, the organization of this. I think it's always good to have different views. It makes it very interesting. Um, I wanted to say something. I think uh, I appreciated, I mean, the level of the, the speakers is always very good, but it was something that it was said by, by one of the panelists saying abuse. I felt myself a Catalan, no independentist, uh, something that Ponseti said, like it was a, a constitutional mess that was an illegal constitutional mess. And people have to be responsible for, for their acts. Um, the question is, abuse it was also abuse for me from Generalitat. Don't you think that was abuse to break the law? Number two, yes, uh, bluffing uh, on poker, I think, is in the responsibility. Do you think that was responsible or irresponsible to play poker with the whole society, because in the end, even I think, was bad for the people who wanted independence. And uh, I don't think it was democrat, uh, democracy to, to play that way. And at the end of the day, more Sorry, than half of the people in Catalonia are not independent. Okay. okay. So, sorry. Was it abuse of law? Was it abuse of uh, power? Yeah. Yes, no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was it irresponsible? Yes, no. But let's hear the other questions first. Sorry. Okay. We'll take a couple of questions. Uh, Professor Balfour. No, there's one on its way. There's one on its way. But for the record, we need it. Yeah, okay. You need it for the DVD. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yes, yes, it is, it is working. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, my position is, 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 I have to say, is equidistant. I have to raise one matter of concern, um, and that is actually reflecting what I hear amongst people who are supporting independence. And in fact, it's being discussed in the, in, in the independence movement, a disquiet about the, the lack of support among half the population of Catalonia. People have said in Esquerra, in, in Pedecat, that uh, there is concern about winning over more support. Now, you were talking about figures. Uh, we have some figures which came from the 21st of December 2017 elections where something in the region of just under 51% voted for parties that are against independence, and I include, of course, uh, um, Catalonia, uh, 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 for them. Catalonia is, is, is sorry, I'm, yeah. Well, anyway, uh, um, I, I know it very well, but I, just at the moment. Uh, and 47.5% voted for parties supporting independence. Now, is that a matter of concern for you? Because, of course, from here, we are particularly concerned that Brexit seems to be going ahead with a difference in, in actually uh, public, uh, uh, public support 
of something like 48 and 52 percent. This is of an enormous concern. Isn't it something that should concern the, the people in the people who support independence in Catalonia? <clears throat> Thank you, Jimmy. Sorry. For Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I just just uh, to say that I'm, I'm an alumni of this college, and also, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm a journalist for many years. I worked for the FT for 30 years. So, I'm, again, I'm pretty equidistant in this. Um, I want to make just one, one comment on process and a very direct question. Process, um, chapeau to Paul Preston. Uh, I know you've been under a lot of pressure for holding this. Uh, and I wouldn't have taken your job tonight uh, in a million years. Um, but I also think, I don't think I've ever come across a panel which is three against two, okay? Um, I don't regard that as equidistance. And again, I think it's extremely brave of Jose Ignacio Torreuranca, uh, whether you agree with him or whether you agree with him or not, to, to stand up there against, you know, outweighed by three. But let's get to the question, because I think we've moved way about what now the political and judicial future of the Catalan independent movement, okay? Um, I want to go back to something Alfred Walsh said, which, you know, as the Minister of Foreign Affairs and Institutional Relations, pre, um, pull me back. He said, if there is a sentence, a heavy sentence of these people, and it's anticipating a, as, as uh, uh, Jose Ignacio put out, this is going to be a trial, there's going to be publicly televised, live, defense lawyers, public prosecution, okay? So no one's going to be jerry-marked in like a sort of Nuremberg trial, okay? Um, but given uh, that this is, we're going to have this process, you said that if the sentencing goes a certain way, there's going to be a lot of anger in the streets, okay? Fine. Um, I'd be interested to know what next? Are you, are you talking about, you know, this wonderful thing of this peaceful movement, Catalan movement, we're going to have riots in the streets, so we're going to have, you know, Champs-Élysées in, in the Aonal. Um, I'd like to have an answer to that. Um, but uh, uh, the second question to all the panelists is, uh, let's try and be constructive. Do you think an indulto, following a sentencing, uh, would be the beginning of some kind of political solution to the Catalan situation. Thank you. Okay, we've got three questions. I think we'll take three for the moment and then we'll get an answer and then we'll see if we've got time for any more. Um, Dr. Bosch. Yes, uh, thanks. Um, I would like to comment very briefly on whether uh, uh, a bare 50% or 51% would be enough. Uh, um, well, I think uh, there's another question derived, and which is also very interesting. Uh, would 49% uh, in any case, in any of the options, would 49% be enough to uh, uh, preserve the present situation? Because uh, if you think 51% is not enough to change things, why should you think that 49% is enough to stay with the present situation, the present uh, establishment? So uh, there, there you have uh, quite a stimulating kind of debate. Now, about this, uh, uh, about 
this trial being a mistake, I think it's a mistake because political questions should be solved in a political way. And uh, dialogue should be going on so that uh, some, sign, some kind of agreement on what to do in the future could, uh, could be settled between the Spanish government and the Catalan government. And that's what we've been asking for for at least seven or eight years. And uh, the answer has always been no. There's going to be no dialogue. Nobody's sitting at the table to talk to you about this issue. So uh, we think there is a lack of dialogue. And it's been uh, there for many years. So in that context to um, uh, choose the path of putting people in jail, of trying them, and of charging them with very heavy sentences, very heavy charges, uh, I think that is a mistake, because that doesn't uh, bode well for um, talks, for dialogue, or for a, a peaceful democratic solution, which is what we want. Now, uh, what could happen? Well, maybe, maybe what could happen is that uh, that anger um, could express itself in a democratic way and it would turn out that uh, those in support for independence actually increase after the trials and then possibly we solve their, these uh, bare 50% question you were talking about. Thank you. No, again, I, I, I think there is, a, there is a point, as I said, about trust, but on, on, on indultos, um, you know, that would require first, uh, you know, that to be a ruling and, of course, to be a negative ruling for you. I mean, um, on, on, I guess, you know, that uh, courts and prosecutors have the obligation to ask for the maximum charges, even if there is a slight possibility that the maximum or charges apply. I don't think that the fact, and there is a, there is a debate, of course, in Spain about this, about lawyers, there are many people who think that the crimes of rebellion as, they're, as they are currently in the penal code do not apply to, to the case because there was not violence in strict terms, then you can argue whether coercion or intimidation is violence. But this is a debate among lawyers. It's not citizens may have a say about this, but it's quite obvious that the Spanish penal code, when it thinks uh, about crimes against the Constitution, and says that the unilateral succession of a part of the territory is a crime against the Constitution, it is a crime. Then, you know, you may decide whether because there is violence or not, then deserves one of the other uh, ruling or sentence for, for this. But there is no question that this, there was an attempt to succeed unilaterally. And all penal codes of all democracies include this as a very serious offense, all of them. Because if not, you know, we would have realized that in Germany, the Constitutional Court, in Italy, the Constitutional Court as well have said that attempts to unilaterally succeed, you know, are unlawful, are unconstitutional. You have to change the Constitution. How can it be possible that it is not illegal to violate Article 1 of the Constitution, Article 2 of the Constitution? You know, it's... This said, I hope, and we all hope, that there will be a solution to this problem. There is no, I don't think anyone wants, you know, to, to be stuck here for so, for so long time. But the government of Catalonia pushed them on. He had 
the opportunity to dissolve the parliament and to avoid Article 155. There were negotiations with the mediation of the Basque president, Delen Dakari, to assure President Puigdemont that if he dropped you know, the attempt to unilaterally succeed and convene the elections, they wouldn't be Article 155. He convened the press conference, we all know this, and in two hours, he backpedaled from this because members of the rival party, you know, spoiled the agreement thinking that they will take the spoils and that Puigdemont will be a traitor and they, they will be heroes. The divisions within the, move, the, the secessionist movement are also very important because it is very hard for the Spanish government to address who should I talk to. If I make a deal with this, it will be called traitor by the other. Right? And this is very important. And one of the reasons, and I finish with, one of the reasons why, of course, uh, uh, there are people in prison uh, waiting for trial is because some of you, of course, left. And this is, in, ter in terms of legal reasoning, in terms of legal reasoning, in terms of legal reasoning, if you read, this is not my opinion. You know, when I read the courts, when I read the courts and they say, you know, if the possibility that people flee from Spain, it's made visible. They by attended like court. We are not fleeing. We are not fleeing. I'm not saying they're is, right or wrong. This is a very grave accusation. I oh, cannot, no, I cannot accept it. Sorry, sorry, sorry. These people, sorry, sorry, sorry. These people attended court. Yeah. Can I please? I mean, yes. I, I think okay. I have a right to If everybody to will be quiet. Yeah, please, please. Sorry. Professor Ponsati has something to say. I will, you power. know, if, if yeah, the no, courts no, no, no. in Spain issue another arrest warrant, I will respond to it. I've, you know, I've been every minute, every minute since I left Barcelona in the end of October 2017, I've always attended to, you know, to judicial requirements. I've attended them. You know, how come they are not, you know, asking for me to go and talk to a judge in Edinburgh? Why not? Because they don't have a case. It's as simple as that. You know, uh, so, you know, it's lawyers need to decide whether there was violence. Okay, so you say, well, if Puigdemont had called an election, maybe we wouldn't be in this situation. Okay, uh, the arguments of the prosecutor, don't say, I mean, obviously don't say anything about that because this is totally political, totally hypothetical. The, the, was the, political sorry, solution. sorry, it's my turn. It's my turn. Sorry, it still is. All you know, the indictment says about events on the 20th of September and events on the 1st of October. That's what the case is about, all the thousands and, and hundreds of pages about all these rebellions, it lists, you know, a police uh, officer getting some keys on his head and, you know, all kinds of things. Uh, but it, it's all events, October 1st, September 20th, all of them. Okay, so how come we all went home October 1st and stayed in Spain no problem. No, if, if it was such a, you know, if the events of that day were such a crime, how come we were not arrested on the spot? How come we didn't? Okay? So, you know, it's, it's clearly a misuse of process. Absolutely. Then, you know, if we weren't in this situation, you know, we would have 
many things to revise, but I'm not going to start, you know, discussing, you know, things that I think were not right, uh, you know, in the, in the political management of the weeks after October 1st, which, you know, there is a long list. And, you know, I've been very outspoken about that, and I don't think I need to do that today. We don't have time. I'd love to have an opportunity, but, you know, we can do that another day. And I thought, you know, actually, and I'm going to, you know, reply to that gentleman that was uh, – I have also, you know, I'm very happy to have uh, Nacho here tonight. Uh, you know, uh, he's – Maybe very brave, um, thank you. Uh, but you know, the fact that it's three against four is because the ambassador forced the LSC to include him. So it's not, you know, this panel was organized. Maybe its view was biased, but it was organized. When, uh, when Sanchez came, he spoke to the public. Nobody had any problem with him speaking, you know, without somebody uh, talking differently. I mean, it's the fact that people of some that our partisans speak doesn't mean that the session cannot be interesting, you know, so it's fine. I mean, I'm, I love to have uh, Nacho here. I love to have an opportunity to speak to him. We'll have a chance now after the debate, and, you know, it will be lovely. But, <laughs> okay, uh, thank you. you know, thank you. but right. it's, you know, this abuse that three to four. Right. We have 30 seconds left. <laughs> and in the 30 seconds left... Um, Personally, to answer the issue that Sebastian Balfour raised about whether there should be concern that uh, the majorities on either side are highly questionable, it's the same, it seems to me, as in Brexit. And I think that whether it was Catalonia or Brexit, that it would be good if... The heroes, of, or heroes I've often heard cited as heroes of the Catalan independence movement, the Quebecois, that there, was a, there had been qualified majority and then there could have been no question as a result of, of, of because, because of the result. And for what it's worth, being a wishy-washy English person uh, and not a ferocious Scot. <laughs> well, imagine I from do. Liverpool originally. But why support Scottish independence? <laughs> oh, good for you. I'm half Catalan now. So. Okay. Right, okay. So Anwar is, I mean, it's great. He was born in Liverpool and he's of Indian origin and he's an adopted Scot. Wait for this. <laughs> he supports Liverpool. But anyway. And Barcelona. <laughs> Okay, that's fine. That's all right. Okay, well, listen, I want to thank everybody for, uh, for being here. I'm sorry that the limits of time did not allow uh, as much participation from the audience as we would have liked. I'm also sorry that, in a sense, um, not all of the uh, contributions were as pertinent as they might have been, but there you go. That's academe for you. Uh, so thank you and good night.